Welcome to the Young Artists Podcast, when young artists take center stage. I'm your host, Natalia, and this is the place where we dive deep into the minds and works of emerging artists, exploring their unique perspectives and creative journeys. Enjoy! Introducing our extraordinary guest for today's episode of the Young Artists Podcast, Angie Hori an interdisciplinary designer whose creative journey takes us on a profound exploration of colonial legacies and personal identity. With a unique blend of influences from Japanese Ghanaian heritage, biochemistry and design, Angie unveils the intricate tapestry of her artistry. Hi, Angie. Hi. Great to have you. Thank you. So could you introduce uh, your practice a little bit, please? Um, to be completely honest, I am very much in like the genesis stage of my practice, mm-hmm. so it's quite evolving. So if I say something today, it could be something different tomorrow. Of course. <laughs> but, um, essentially, uh, for now, I'm very interested in um, creating interventions or installations for public spaces. And so I have worked on two projects where I created a structure um, in a public space and um the concepts behind these structures were very much influenced by um my heritage my background as being japanese Ghanaian. and um yeah the both um projects were situated in either japan or ghana respectively uh your heritage is extremely i feel like interesting could you disclose a little bit how it is to be of such a rich cultural background uh yeah um surprisingly there's a lot of half japanese half Ghanaians. we really? kind of all know each other it's really oh. weird like yeah um there's um this there's a couple like influencer you mm-hmm. know and then there's also people doing um and i yeah I, I i do know them because like we're all like in a, like a community yeah. yeah but um yeah i guess um it my brother put it in a really really like good way but essentially we're kind of just confused (laughs) because i don't know i feel like being japanese is like the polar opposite of being ghanaian um japanese way i guess uh okay so let's say um japanese people are very um organized and very like regimented very um they stick to the status quo Mm -hmm. um of the japanese society versus ghanaians are way like relaxed chill um always late to things like in japan (laughs) people will arrive um 30 minutes before something starts in ghana people arrive two hours late Oh, That's really? like a, yeah, it's like a you you can't even expect anything to function on time in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Everything is late. Like you, I literally once went to a part a birthday party, and the person whose birthday party it was for was three hours late. Oh my god! <laughs> they organized it. So okay, I it's can just see that. This, yeah, it's just very much um, polar opposite um, cultures. So when you have as an individual who's instilled with these two different cultures you kind of um start to notice like you know the negative aspects of the respective cultures and how mm-hmm. one could feed into the other and yeah it's very much um 
a state of being where you're kind of in flux. Okay. Yeah. So, um, how did the, these two cultures influence your art practice? I would say um, it predominantly influences my practice um, in regards to the visual language of my work and also just the context behind which I create work. So I am interested in unpacking what does that mean uh, to decolonize in design visually. And so I kind of like to look towards historically how has colonization um, impacted the respective cultures that I'm from or how has it occurred in the respective cultures that I'm from. So obviously Japan colonized a bunch of uh, East Asian and Pacific Island nations and Ghana was colonized by the British and also uh, the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just kind of looking at um, how um, the this history of colonization um, kind of impacts the contemporary um, world today and just how I can express this impact visually and also through the narratives of my work. Angie, your work really explores uh, the topic of colonial legacies. Could you elaborate on why is this topic so significant to you? So prior to coming to the UK to study at the RCA, I was really interested in kind of questioning where I'm getting my knowledge from and thinking about, okay, so what am I using to inform my practice? Mm -hmm. And just what do I deem is considered good or bad yeah. art design? Um, and obviously having a biochem background, looking when you look at um, information that you're, you receive, it's very much Eurocentric. And you don't really get any information that is perhaps from other corners of the world. Um, but there definitely has been, you know, work and research done in other corners of the world. So it made me think, okay, now that I'm studying this new subject that's really important to me, how can I uh, decide how I obtain knowledge and how I navigate this landscape of like, you know, creating work. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important to me to acknowledge that this system exists where it's like, there is a pervading narrative there is a canon and certain cultures are deemed more are deemed better than others and so in my work i like to explore how these legacies impact contemporary affairs impact visual language impact you know just the general canon of design and art and design and so it was just really important for me just to approach knowledge formation in a decolonial way. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of seeped into also what I was exploring in my work and also creating. And regards to your recent project, you used the word Nekokaburi. Um, Can you introduce this project and tell me what does this word mean and how it relates to the project? 
essentially um so nikokaburi means uh to feign ignorance mm -hmm. um the direct translation is um a cat wearing a cat so kind of akin to a wolf in sheep's clothing so um i use this word to describe what the japanese government has done and is doing today with regards to its colonial past so um it's commonly used as a term in i guess like colloquial speech where people are like oh which is like oh that girl she's like feigning ignorance you know mm -hmm. it's usually used like among young people i guess to kind of describe an individual who's like acting in a way that they're not but i i kind of like to use these sort of how would i describe this i guess um more playful ways of describing things or visually representing things or linguistically representing things um to discuss dark entangled histories mm -hmm. because as an individual i'm super i'm tired yeah. <laughs> i'm like i am tired of this narrative and i'm just kind of like any small way of me being like yeah i'm just like you know i'm, I'm trying to like talk about this deep dark thing but i want to talk about it in like a in a kind of uh lighter way to make it in a way i guess more accessible uh, in in a similar realm of how if you watch a, t a TV show like Bojack Horseman, mm -hmm. where if you look at it, it's like super bright and super colorful and it's super inviting. But when you actually watch it, it's really deep and fucked mm -hmm. up. Yeah. <laughs> and like the characters are all like they have their own issues. And and so, yeah, it's kind of like through using this playful um, visual language and also the linguistic um concept of like Nico Kabudi just being like um light and fun I just hope to be able to bring to the surface of something that's actually really messed up <laughs> yeah so I can I see that it's a it. good way to engaging the wider public I think yeah using like a more playful uh, word yeah I also really like how playful your your design is mm -hmm. like this gate looking like a cat mm -mm -mm. and how do you feel that this gate fits into the broader context of public art and uh, in what way do you want the gate to convey the message to be honest like this is actually something that i've been struggling with um trying to connect like um the intent behind my work to like the message that i'm trying to convey because obviously like art is perceived differently depending on like an individual's context mm -hmm. and all of that and in the case of like public art because it's available to the public you have like no control over the perception you know what i mean like yeah it's very different from like let's say a work at a gallery because usually if it's in a gallery it's like a certain demographic a certain individual mm -hmm. is interested enough to go and seek out this space versus a public installation is something that like anyone could come across you know someone yeah has. i know yeah so um it's it's kind of something that i'm definitely like questioning in myself and in my practice which is why um yeah this kind of question is something that i do want to think about more and uh, consider in my future works and in order to just, I guess, have a more like cohesive like narrative in terms of like how I disseminate work or create work. Yeah. 
In terms of Nekokaburi and being inspired by the Japanese culture, mm -hmm. what else do you bring from the Japanese culture to the project? Um, I guess it's it more has to do with like that history of like um the like the colonial legacy that Japan has, but then also with the the um representation of a cat is also very significant in Japanese culture mm -hmm. because cats are really um they're viewed as good luck, good fortune in Japan. Um, essentially, um, using like a cat to describe this essentially horrific past when a cat is so synonymous with good luck and good fortune what does that mean mm -hmm. but that's also part of the culture that i'm bringing in in a way <laughs> i feel like it has a lot of sense because in a way you don't want to really put japan in a negative light but you really want to celebrate japanese culture in the same time of bringing awareness to its past so i think this symbolic of the happiness and good luck is in a way trying to to reverse the narrative okay i can see that thank that you way. i have, i have no idea like i um i did um struggle with that a lot in terms of like the the representation because obviously like certain specific things have like um you know deep connotations with mm -hmm. an idea yeah. so the cat with good fortune and good luck here whereas in the west i feel like cats are associated with bad luck and bad yeah especially misfortune. you know like the black cat crossing yeah, the road exactly it is a presumed as a bad luck exactly so um i really do kind of struggle with that trying to navigate how certain um depictions of something are associated heavily with a, a certain idea um it is a difficult process you yeah know, it like really is redefining certain stereotypical thinking or um redefined aspects it is a difficult thing to do so it's very impressive that you try and you <laughs> uh, really think about it i love your project the reinterpreting the trade beats oh really okay could you introduce the project please yeah so um for that project um i was in i was obviously inspired by the trade bead and i was just like okay i have no idea what i'm doing right now so i am just going to make a bunch of beads was the main thing can you thing. just introduce how did the trade bead work in the past oh of course um so essentially um trade beads were a form of currency mm -hmm. and so they were used to trade goods and also slaves and um this was obviously predominantly in like the west african sub sub-saharan african region mm -hmm. um so for me it was really intriguing the idea of like how a bead could hold so much value was it a bead meant for jewelry design or more for hair or what type of bead was that yeah it was predominantly for jewelry mm -hmm. like um People would wear it like on their like neck, waist, mm -hmm. arm. Yeah. Yeah. So, not. I think was it used for hair? I'm not sure, but predominantly it was used as like a marker of status. Yeah. Um. So like depending on what kind of bead you had, 
it kind of signified towards like a certain level or status in society uh back in those days um but yeah it was just really interesting how beads held so much significance um as a currency and as a form of like status recognition for me um and then obviously now how it doesn't hold that value mm -hmm. at all and also just thinking about how at the end of the day the a bead is just like an ornamental object it has no function mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. the the most function it probably held that um i saw was it was used by some women in ghana to hold up a piece of cloth so that they can wear it as underwear and okay. like the the beads was like a waist bead type situation okay. and then like cloth mm -hmm. to yeah hold it kind of like a belt function okay yeah so um but like would you say that that is the bead doing that or is it the string that's holding the beads together that's helping the, the belt mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so like the bead in itself is like no offense useless um yeah. it's just purely aesthetic purely um a visual thing so i was really um inspired by that and so um i created beads um to kind of re-engage with the design process of making beads and through that process i was able to ideate on a project in which i created sculptural benches uh for the beachside in ghana yeah. so what is gonna be the function of those benches so um my idea slash hope for that project was um for it to be a space where people can gather and just sit because um the beach side or the waterfront is a site with colonial history um obviously that's where the boats arrived from whatever european country to collect slaves and you know take them back mm -hmm. or like bring in goods and take out goods and all of that but then now in ghana um, the beach is very much used as a social place mm -hmm. you know they host um events beach parties concerts all sorts of stuff so just kind of like it's kind of like this play on how this site where it used to have like uh, a colonial legacy beats I mean, benches inspired by beats that have a colonial um, significance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this reinterpretation of a trade bead to a bench used for to use for social am amelioration is like my whole <laughs> thing of just like uh, reinterpreting and creating this installation yeah just kind of repurposing and just uh reimagining something i really like how your uh, ideas come from real life observation so in a way you can see that this place which in the past would be connected to something really bad like the trade of slaves now is really a place of people gathering socializing and really having like a happy moment mm. and this little moment could be used to celebrate or like to give respect to the past mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering because i know that you draw inspiration from motoyuki shitamachi's photograph 
It's oh, so crazy. I was about to mention it. <laughs> Please tell me more about that. Yeah, so basically, he took pictures of uh, Tony Gates um, in uh, different locations. And the one image that I find so like interesting is the one um, in Taiwan where the gate is not no longer standing. It's just mm -hmm. like on the floor you know it, did it, it fall or yeah did it fall i think it did i'm mm -hmm. not sure but the more i guess significant aspect of it is the fact that so it's there it's on the floor and people are sitting on it like a mm -hmm. bench and he yeah. took a picture of that and it's kind of like okay uh -huh, so what it's actually really interesting yeah. because um the these gates um our colonial object obviously because japan when they colonized they built all these um temples and they the gates were like a symbol of like um japan's like domination over our land right mm -hmm. so now that this gate has fallen and people are sitting on it and using it as a bench it's kind of like they have repurposed this colonial object to fit a local context like yeah just completely now it's it's for them it's for them to use it's no longer really well it it, it is still this thing with the um connotations to a really dark past but they have like re what is the word that i'm looking for like redefined. they yeah they have redefined it for themselves mm -hmm. you know like it is now for them to use as a bench for their park <laughs> so yeah i i really enjoyed that image yeah so uh, this particular one was yeah. the uh, inspiration for you to create the benches. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it really did like inspire me. It's I guess in a way I was trying to like emulate what his image, what occurred in his image. Yeah. Speaking of inspirations, what are your favorite artists that you draw inspiration from? <laughs> um. So. I really enjoy Yinka Iori. I am so sorry if I'm butchering his name. But um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I talk about him too much in everything. But I really like the use of um, colors in his work and the incorporation of um, his Nigerian British heritage into the visual language of his designs. Um, and I actually went to go uh, see a talk by him during the London Design Festival, which was really cool, really chill dude. <laughs> um, oh, and so you had a chance to meet him? No, I was too scared. Uh, but he was there. He was there. Okay. I, I saw him from like afar. From a distance, yeah. yeah, from a distance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I really like how he doesn't shy away from incorporating the patterns that he uses in his work like he doesn't shy away from including his heritage in his work through his the patterns mm -hmm. and so it's like it's kind of like you know represent you know yeah. like yeah like i'm tired of seeing gray i am tired of seeing sleek gray designs mm -hmm. of public spaces cold architecture like i'm i'm, I'm done i'm good yeah. i prefer looking at colorful, bright. Um, a good example of a, a thing, of a space that I really like is, you know the Celeron steps in Rio? Uh, I don't, but I need to look it up, definitely. Yeah, it's like this place, um, it's like just like st a stairway, mm -hmm. but then there's there's a bunch of like tiles 
and um it's it's like designed really pretty it's like a really famous like picture spot but um the sig really significant thing about that work is that um in brazil a lot of public art is used to kind of make the place be more inviting and like feel safer and you actually do feel it mm -hmm. you know if you're walking late at night and where are you gonna feel safer in an alleyway that's completely gray and black and dark or in a dark but colorful alleyway i can see that you know what i mean so it's just i really like how the incorporating color and like public art into uh, installation art into public spaces can really make a place feel safer more inviting more um relaxing comforting anything just better than gray mm -hmm. yeah so do you feel like your design of the beats place on the beach is also supposed to make the place that was uh, before really unsafe make it like safer and more pleasant in the present to be honest the beach is already now a safe space mm -hmm. i think for me that design was just kind of um tying in those histories in a way just like a subtle reminder that you know this this was our past and mm -hmm. like it is the case but then also just playing into the whole like now that it's a space for like uh cultural events and stuff like it just definitely adds to the space mm -hmm. yeah but then also paying homage to that legacy of course yeah so as an artist working on projects deeply connected to historical and societal issues what role do you believe art plays in fostering awareness and change i think it plays a huge role but at the same time, it's like really hard to say like whether it is like effective or not. I think one of the main problems with art and design is that I feel like it feels really like it's not accessible. Mm -hmm. Like before I started this course, I was doing biochem and like yeah. I like i do not know anything <laughs> about art yeah like I just like you go to galleries and you're like, oh nice painting, blah 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 like it so art because it plays such a huge role in like social and like historical narratives and just problems and issues and like contemporary issues i feel like one of the most important things to also consider is like how can we make it more accessible because it plays such a huge role in these topics the accessibility of it in terms of like understanding by the audience is so important so that like at least this issue can actually be discussed, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I would love to ask you one more question. We always ask the artists about the advice for the emerging artists. What's your personal advice? Ooh, uh, fancy question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of hard. Okay, there is this Ghanaian, is he an artist? Yes, he's an artist. Called uh, Joseph Awa Darko. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm butchering his name. Sorry. Oops. Um, but he made this Instagram post where he wrote, um, "Dear artists, an idea without execution is hallucination." Mm. Um, and I really like how he kind of really, very much so directly put it. Um, it kind of like stabs at my heart a little bit, but. 
I really resonate with it because I feel like a lot of the time people are just kind of too much in their head, you know, coming up with ideas. Is this good? Is this not good? Blah, blah, blah. They're just, it's all in their head and they're not actually executing anything. Mm -hmm. And I suffer from that a lot. So I think um, for young artists, what the most important thing that they can do for themselves is to just get out of their head and create. That's yeah. a great advice. I think a lot of people suffer from it. Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to sit down and just get going. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It, and I think it applies like across like different industries. Yeah, and for sure. For sure. But yeah, for, for young artists, you know, you're not going to have a portfolio if it's all in your head. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> That's a great one. I I will try to find that artist and reference him on our Instagram so that everybody can see yeah. this one. But thank you, Angie, for sharing your great insights and the profound stories behind your artistic projects. And I really love your ability to blend history, culture and personal connections into the installation. It's really inspiring. I truly hope that your work continues to bring this meaningful conversations and spark positive change. Thanks for being here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for listening uh, to us. Please check Young Artists Podcast on Instagram for behind the scenes glimpses and updates on coming episodes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Young Artists Podcast. Don't forget to stay connected with us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Follow us at Young Artist Podcast for behind-the-scenes glimpses, updates, and even more artistic inspiration. Your support fuels our creativity.